0: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Nate, riding solo for this episode. First for the show. As you've no doubt seen by the title of this episode, I've turned my mic on today to talk to you about one of my new favorite games Alien, the role playing game. Based on the beloved horror franchise of the same name, Free League's Alien Roleplaying Game was originally published back in late 2019, (laughs) but like all gaming sessions, scheduling conflicts prevented me from playing until recently. But I finally got the chance to run a game for Vase and a couple of our patrons, and with that game fresh in my mind, I wanted to focus today's episode on the contents of the core rulebook and the starter set without going into spoilers, so any potential players, or game mothers alike, could hear my mad ramblings and see if Alien is right for them. But before we do, if you enjoy the show and want to support what we do here, you can join our Discord server, subscribe to us on YouTube, give us 5 stars in your podcast app of choice, all that social media jazz, we've been scheduling regular role-playing game sessions with patrons including Games of Alien. So if you want to support the show and maybe play some games with us, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com thegreatoldonesgaming. It is thanks to the continued support of our patrons that we are able to bring you reviews such as this one. On my mark. We're on express elevator to hell. Going down. The core rules begin with an overview of the universe that Alien takes place in. Alien is a game about rough conditions, corporate dominance of everyday life, a galaxy rife with conflict between three major powers, and of course... Xenomorphs. The slice of life sections about the major character archetypes are great, and there's an excellent timeline of events that detail major events from the movies, starting in, funnily enough, 2023, and ending in 2180, shortly after the events of Alien 3. The book considers the two prequel movies, Prometheus and Alien Covenant, along with the 2014 video game Alien Isolation to be canon, while disregarding the events of Alien Resurrection. Look, say what you want about the movies, but I think the absence of Resurrection makes a lot of sense. Its inclusion doesn't really add much to the story. It adds this weird, like, 200 year gap between Alien 3 and Resurrection. And the the prequel movies add more xenotypes. They, the, there's the, Spores, the abominations, the black goo, the mystery of the engineers, and all this other stuff that the game mothers can chew on and, you know, potentially use in their own homebrews. Flipping through the pages of the core rules, you encounter plenty of wonderful and evocative full page art pieces that capture the dark, grizzled tone of Alien. The formatting and general layout of the book makes an initial read a pleasant experience. But a consequence of this design choice is that a lot of pages in the core rules only have like a short paragraph of two of stuff on it which leads to a whole lot of page hopping or heavy use of control f when you're trying to actually use the game or use the the rules mid-session i find this to be a bit annoying the black background on all the pages is wonderful but it makes copying and printing tables from the book very difficult and it's a shame because the tables are actually really useful and it'd be nice to be able to hand your players a couple of the tables, but sadly you can't really do that. To Free League's credit, they have since made some of the material printer friendly, but that's mostly limited to maps and character sheets. Mostly. In the Alien role-playing game, players take on the roles of scientists, colonists, space truckers, company representatives or colonial marines in the retro-fusteristic sci-fi horror setting that is Alien. The game divides itself into two modes of play, cinematic and campaign play. In short, cinematic play is equivalent to one-shots or short scenarios with pre-generated characters, and campaign play is a more traditional RPG experience where players will make characters and you play through a story over the course of many sessions. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. That's the plan. You have my word on it. All right, I'm in. Characters in Alien RPG are comprised of four attributes. Strength, agility, wits, and empathy. And each attribute has three associated skills with it, for a total of 12. Each character also has a career, talents, a personal agenda, and a signature item. In cinematic mode, pre-generated characters come with personal agendas for each of the scenario's acts. But in campaign mode, players and game mothers will have to collaborate to come up with agendas that fit within the context of the campaign. Lastly, whether you're playing campaign mode or cinematic mode, each character has a buddy and a rival player character. The buddy-rival system introduces ties and conflicts between player characters during gameplay. There's a blurb discussing PvP and what game mothers should do in the event that things escalate at the table, but in my time in playing this game I'm happy to report that that hasn't been an issue for the couple of groups I've run games for. I think being upfront about this aspect of the game with your players and setting those expectations and boundaries up early really goes a long way to encouraging healthy role playing at the table. I think this system works really well if you are able to foster that environment early. The Buddy rival system, I think, creates a fun way to encourage roleplaying amongst the players, where I might even start using it in other systems I play. Alien RPG uses a D6 system for determining success and failure, but it adds a unique twist. Included in the starter box are two sets of custom six-sided dice. One to represent what the game calls base dice, and the other, which feature the iconic facehugger in the one spot, are stress dice. Well, cool looking, I'm not really a fan of custom dice, but thankfully however, players can just use any two sets of d6, provided there's an easy way to tell them apart. I've also seen players roll the base dice, and then roll the stress dice, however you want to do it doesn't really matter, just as long as you have some way to tell them apart. Making a skill roll is as simple as adding your skill value and the skill's associated attribute together and rolling that many base dice, along with a number of stress dice equaling your current stress level. So let's say for example, I'm making a close combat roll. I have a close combat skill of three and its associated attribute is strength, which I also have a three. I would add those two together giving me six, and I would roll six base dice. I would then check my current stress level, which is currently, let's say, a one. I would then roll six base dice and one stress dice. Success is determined by rolling a six on any dice, but rolling a one on a stress dice can cause a player to panic. And we'll talk about more on that later. This can't be happening, man, this isn't happening. If a player rolls more than a single 6, or in the case of an opposed roll, rolls more successes than their opponent, the extra successes can be spent on stunts, which are extra benefits that you can give to a skill, like extra damage on a a weapon roll, or bonuses to future rolls of that type. The stunts, I think much like the talents, which I'll discuss later, range from feeling pretty lackluster to honestly pretty game-altering. I'm hoping that there's some refactoring of this in the future, but... It won't make any difference. Stress waxes and wanes throughout the course of gameplay. Players can add stress voluntarily for a chance to re-roll, or what the game calls pushing a roll. And players can also relieve stress by using their signature item. The stress mechanic is really what makes Alien stand out from other horror role-playing games that I've played, like Cult of Cthulhu or Delta Green. The double-edged sword nature of it makes riding that fine line between keeping your cool and freaking out at the wrong moment a really tense and thrilling experience. In my talks with players and other fellow game mothers, many have praised the stress mechanic for its contribution to the game, and I couldn't agree more. It's a really refreshing change for horror role-playing games. The core rules and the rules in the starter set include a section detailing the 12 skills and the various talents in the game. Explanations are pretty straightforward, and the offered examples are helpful for those new to tabletop role-playing games. Talents are akin to feats from D&D, in that they're minor abilities that give characters a small edge in certain situations. Each career has a small pool of talents that they can choose from, but during campaign play, characters will actually gain experience points, and they can use that experience points to gain new talents or increase one of their skills by one. The talents range... From pretty decent, you know, things like a boost to a future skill to pretty absurd, like ignoring all ones on stress dice for a roll once per session. I think in cinematic mode this is likely to be a non-issue, but once players have three, maybe four talents, I could really see this being something that the game mother might have to rein in a bit. Or just kill those characters off. It is alien, after all. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. Careers, like I mentioned earlier, have a small pool of talents, but they also feature a key attribute and a short list of skills that give each career their own mechanical edge. Each career also has a few lists of example agendas, signature items, looks for your character, and a list of starting gear to choose from, but that's really about it. The Core Rulebook has nine careers on offer, ranging from a Colonial Marine, a kid, a roughneck, or a scientist. The tables offered in each one are fine. I just wish there was more options. I do appreciate how easy it is to quickly create characters in Alien. I just wish there was more options. Thankfully, it seems as though the Colonial Marine's operations manual And the newly announced Building Better Worlds books seem to alleviate that a bit, giving the Colonial Marines and colonists more options. Players also have the option to play as an android character, which operate similar to human characters but have some key differences. One, androids get increased attribute scores, and two, androids cannot gain stress throughout the course of a game. Android characters are an interesting inclusion in the Alien RPG. Androids in the Alien franchise have a tendency to stab their group in the back, and it can be fun to lean into that. But to do that, however, you need to keep your Android nature hidden from the other players, which can be pretty difficult to do if you're the only one at the table not rolling stress dice, or if someone takes a look at your character sheet for just a little too long. Creative GMs could certainly come up with a solution that works for their group, but I wish the rules offered some suggestions on how to hide the androids' identity if they wished. The next section I want to discuss is gear. we a deck of cards. Gear in Alien the Roleplaying Game has a couple of rules attached to it that helps it aid in the atmosphere that the game is going for. Firstly, all items have some amount of what the game dubs encumbrance. A character can carry a number of regular-sized items equal to double their strength value. A regular item weighs around a few kilos or so. The game divides items into heavy, light, and tiny items, with tiny items being things that usually stuff in like a back pocket. The rules emphasize characters only have what's listed on their character sheets, so game mothers will want to stress that to their players prior to playing any game session. Trust me. Players always have this habit of saying they have things, but they didn't write them down or they forgot them. And in this game, it's very important that they keep track of that sort of stuff. Thankfully, however, the game doesn't make you keep track of ammo and things like that. Usually when players find ammo, they'll find an amount of what's called a reload, but more on that later. All right, sweethearts, you heard the man. Pull them out, come on, let's have them. I think what makes gear really fun, though, is this idea of consumables that Alien introduces. The players have to keep track of their air, their food, their water, and their electric power during gameplay. When the situation calls for it, the game mother will have players make what's called a supply roll. To do this, a player rolls a number of stress dice equal to the corresponding supplies rating, and for each one that they roll, They decrease that supply by one. So, for example, let's say I have four food and my game mother says I have to make a food roll. I'd roll the four stress dice. I fish out each one. And let's say I got two ones. Ugh, gross. My food supply rating would then decrease by two, down to two. Once you're out of a supply, well... you don't want to know what happens. Hunger is manageable but other things like dehydration and uh, lack of air get very very bad very very quickly. A general tip I'd have for game mothers is when you're having the players track their supply rolls, make sure you're tracking water and air more often than you're tracking food and power as those things tend to be the more common things that players forget about. This type of game is all about putting the players into tough situations and seeing what creative solutions they come up with to solve the problem at hand and i think this mechanic does a really good job at selling the aspect of survival horror that alien is going for and in in my experience tracking your consumables is really like you make a quick roll you you fish out the ones and then you're done it's really simple it doesn't bog down the game in the slightest Let's now turn our attention to stealth and combat. Um, he- Look man, I only need to know one thing. Where they are. The Alien RPG measures time into three units. Rounds, turns, and shifts. Rounds are primarily what you would think of in combat. They're anywhere between 5 to maybe 15 seconds. Turns range from 5 to 10 minutes. And these are things like I'm going to search the room, or I'm going to go down the hallway and see what's around the corner. Those types of things. And this is primarily used in what the game calls stealth mode. Lastly there are shifts. Think of like a shift at work. They're usually like 5 to 10 hours and they're usually used during downtime or recovery. Stealth mode is the mode I think best captures the heart and soul of the Alien franchise. Enemies lurk in the shadows stalking the players or patrolling the dark corridors and vents, and the players have to make use of the iconic motion tractor to find their pursuer. It's, it's, man, it's great. As the GM, this is where you get to prowl alongside the players and build the tension up as the players frenetically search everywhere for signs of movement. During this time, enemies are considered to be in one of two modes, active or passive. Active enemies are, well, active. You know, they're actively seeking out the players, and passive enemies are enemies that can be ambushed if the players are so lucky. Players can conversely attempt to sneak past enemies by rolling mobility versus the enemy's observation skill. League really creates stunning high-quality maps for all their published adventures, and I believe this is partially why. Without a map for the players and a second for the game mother, keeping track of all this stuff is just a nightmare. I would argue that the game even requires the use of maps, really, to have the most enjoyable experience. However you decide to play, though, there will come a time where the player's metal is tested in combat. I'd like to keep this handy for close encounters. I heard that. Like in pretty much every other system, Alien uses a form of initiative to determine turn order in combat. In Alien, initiative is descended by a deck of cards that's shuffled and dealt to all involved parties. I find this to be a strange way of resolving turn order for a couple of reasons. Reason number one being the arbitrary cap on the number of combatants in combat, and the second reason is that many xenomorphs draw multiple initiative cards, further restricting the number of combatants. I think in most situations it's probably fine, and a lot of the modules seem to assume that you're going to play with about 5 players or so tops. Why? Why limit it in the first place, I guess is my question. There's nothing wrong with it per se, but it's just strange to me. I feel like characters should maybe roll mobility to determine turn order or something like that. It's not a bad system per se, but I would have preferred something different. Especially something that could be more scalable to large amounts of combatants. I mean, players do have the option to be colonial marines after all. Vasquez, have you ever been mistaken for a man? No. Have you? Once in combat, players have one fast action and one slow action that they can perform each round. The book provides a set of tables for each type of action, which will cover practically anything players will want to do during their turn. There's also a section going over movement in combat. The mechanics for combat are fairly straightforward. Sneak attacks and ambushes are possible by making a mobility versus observation roll, creating an opportunity for players to strike. In close combat, combatants have the ability to block incoming damage by using a fast action and rolling close combat. Each success with a block roll allows you to decrease damage or potentially disarm or counterattack. The rules go over common combat maneuvers such as grapples, shoves, and retreats as well. Ranged combat works a bit differently. Rather than blocking, players have to preemptively take cover from incoming fire. There are also rules for taking aim, full auto fire, overwatch, and the rules for reloading, which I briefly alluded to earlier. Anytime a player rolls a 1 on a stress dice while firing a weapon, They've emptied their magazine and must spend a slow action on their next turn reloading, in addition to making their normal panic roll. Damage in combat occurs when the amount of damage from an attack or hazard is not blocked and is neither soaked by armor. If a combatant is wearing armor, they roll a number of dice equal to the armor's armor rating and for each success they block a point of incoming damage. A PC starts with health equal to their strength score, and when a player reaches 0, they enter a broken state and must roll for a critical injury and consult the critical injury table. Injuries range from being stunned and winded to impaled and disemboweled. Broken characters are also defenseless and are subject to coup de grace, which can kill them outright as long as the attackers fail an empathy roll. Medical aid can be used in combat to pull a character out of a broken state. I like this system a lot as it gives players a fighting chance and really creates great story moments when they finally do perish. The combat section also goes over hazards and conditions players may experience in their adventures, along with general expectations for synthetic and xenomorph enemies. The section about enemies is a nice way to help the players prepare for the bullshit that the GM is likely to throw at them. Lastly in this section, there are a few blurbs about vehicles in combat. These rules are intended for surface-type vehicles, like tanks, and rovers, boats, and non-space aerial vehicles. Damage works a bit differently, but ultimately boils down to using different skills and and consulting a component damage table rather than a critical injury table. I haven't used any of these rules for vehicle combat yet, so I can't really comment on them, but the hazards and conditions rules are pretty run-of-the-mill. GMs will definitely want to utilize them to further torment their players. Now I've done it. Guess I'll have to do the whole thing. The last section before heading into Game Mother territory expands on life in the world of Alien. The section begins by detailing FTL, or faster than light travel, its effects on characters, the major regions of the galaxy players can reach thanks to this technology, and what life is like out on the frontier. The chapter spends a few pages discussing space stations and colonizing deep space, and the lengths corporations will go into in order to achieve their goals. The chapter then shifts gears a bit and talks about the societal and economic structures of the galaxy, such as money and currency, religion, media, and law enforcement. The rest and bulk of the chapter is dedicated to spaceships, their in-game mechanics, and space battles. YES! SPACE BATTLES! (sighs) Let's rock! I'm so excited for space battles. Combat in space works differently than when on ground. Crew members will fall into one of five roles or positions. Captain, sensor operator, pilot, gunners, and engineers. Each position has unique actions they can perform during the different phases of combat. To enter combat with another ship, you must first detect it and get in range. Once in range, initiative is drawn per ship, and ships enter turn order. Each turn in space combat consists of four phases, the sensor phase, the pilot phase, the gunner phase, and lastly, the engineer phase. During each phase, the captain gives orders to active crew members, which can provide bonuses to active crew, and crew members will perform actions that may or may not align with their captain's orders. The system is well fleshed out, even providing a second panic table to consult during space combat. The book also provides a two-page example to clear up any confusions that players may have about how the mechanics work. I have yet to actually try out space combat, but I'm really eager to do so. I'm really hoping Freely creates a scenario that showcases out this mechanic someday. Get away from her, you bitch! The second half, nearly 200 pages of the book, is dedicated to the game mother. There's a section that provides general tips for running alien games that I highly recommend any potential game mother read. The tips on campaign play I found to be particularly insightful. There's a section detailing the various governments and corporations. There's a section detailing various star systems and notable planets. And there's also a section detailing the various alien and xenomorph species that the players can encounter. A good chunk of the book focuses on helping GMs come up with adventures of their own, too, which is really cool. The book provides an absolute ton of tables for encounters, NPCs, jobs, uh, events. It's jam-packed full of stuff. Hell, there's even a full space station with a crew and a list of hooks and scenario events that the GM can just latch onto and make stuff of their own. I I know it seems like I'm kind of glossing over this stuff, but I I think I would really be doing a disservice if I just kind of went over it in detail. It's... it's really cool stuff. This is so nuts. I mean, listen... listen to what you're saying! Lastly, the core rulebook includes a mini-scenario titled Hope's Last Day, which sees the players playing out the events of Hadley's Hope before Aliens. The starter set includes a full scenario called Chariot of the Gods, which is the first of a trilogy of scenarios called the Draconis Strain. The scenario in the core rulebook definitely feels like fan service, but that's definitely not a bad thing. It's a fun little nod to aliens and it's a good way to teach players the rules. It's also a good way for game mothers to kind of learn the ins and outs of stealth and combat. Chariot of the Gods, while is a great scenario, is beyond the scope of this review. But if you're interested, let me know and I would definitely be happy to review it. Did IQs just drop sharply while I was away? Overall, I think Alien is a great role-playing game. Its simple yet elegant mechanics lead itself to a great night of fun around the table. I do wish that the book was a bit more concise in its layout and information, and the initiative system, while I have problems with it, is really a minor thing that any game mother worth their salt can easily fix or remedy. If you're interested in picking up a copy of the Alien Core rules or the starter set, I've put links down in the show notes of this episode. I highly recommend you give this game a shot. I say we take off and nuke the entire site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. That's going to do it for this episode of the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. I've been your host, Nate, and I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Until next time.